Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome, everyone, to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg. I'm here with Caitlin Murray. And we have kind of a, a little bit of a sad podcast to, today. Uh, really abrupt endings to both the Timbers and Thorns season. We're going to get into that. I, I think we... We weren't really sure what was going to happen, but it did definitely feel pretty abrupt how things turned out this weekend, didn't it, Caitlin? Yes, it's definitely a sad podcast. Not just because the Timbers and Thorns got knocked out of the playoffs with pretty terrible performances, (laughs) which we are going to discuss. But also, Jamie, this is the last podcast that you and I will be recording together For listeners who are out of the loop, Jamie is fully transitioning to covering the NBA and the Portland Trailblazers. So that, unfortunately for all of us, means she will no longer be on the soccer beat with the Oregonian. So, you know, as we come to the end of the road as podcast partners, I guess, uh, you know, before we get started, I want to thank you, Jamie, for bringing me on the podcast. It has been a lot of fun. However, I feel like I sort of just got here. You have been on Soccer Bait in Portland for years. Uh, Jamie, what is it going to be like not doing this podcast anymore? I feel like this has been a part of your routine now. <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It has been several years, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly when me and Chris started. I, I want to say it's something like three years, um, I, I, maybe longer, maybe. I, it's hard to remember at this point. Obviously, I was co-hosts with Chris and then Richard and then uh, you obviously came on this year. So it's been a, a few different um, versions of the podcast that I, I've worked through and, and gone from sort of having Chris run the show to it being uh, sort of my baby, it feels like for <laughs> a few years now. So it it's definitely going to be weird not being on the podcast anymore. I, I think this is one of the aspects of my job I'm going to miss a lot. I, it's been nice having sort of a place where you can just talk um, talk about the teams and, and just be honest and and have an honest discussion. I think you're always honest in your reporting, but but how reporting sometimes comes across, you can't talk as openly as you can in a podcast format. So mm. this has been really great to have um, as part of my beat over the years, and I am going to miss it a lot. I'm, I'm going to miss covering the Timbers and Thorns a lot. I mean, it's still sort of sinking in and hitting me. Um, But I've been through a lot with these teams when I think about it. I came in 2011 for the first time as an intern. I covered part of the Timber season during that inaugural season. I came back in 2013. I've seen the Timbers and the Thorns both in playoffs. I've seen both teams in championship games. I've seen both teams win championships. I've seen both teams (laughs) lose championships. I uh, saw Liam Bridgewell, you know, have a Justin Bieber (laughs) dance party at the 2015 (laughs) MLS Cup while I was trying to interview him. So I think there's a lot of memories. It's been an incredible six years covering these teams and an incredible time on the podcast as well. So I'm excited, I think, to maybe watch my first game, uh, my first MLS game from the Sands next year. I've never done Mm -hmm. that. Uh, The closest I came was a CONCACAF game when I was sort of writing about 
uh, being in the stands. Um, but <laughs> not the same experience. <laughs> not at all the same experience. So that'll be that'll be a fun new experience, I, I, I think. And going to Thorns game as well. Um, I think they might be uh, just for the value one of the best tickets in town. Uh, if anyone. <laughs> On the, I mean, everyone that's listening knows that, but um, I'm excited to watch both of them from that perspective. So it's, it is weird. Uh, <laughs> that was a long-winded yeah. answer to say, yes, uh, it's going to be different, and I think it's going to take some getting used to. I mean, just being on the podcast as long as you were, I can imagine just so many different things that you talked about and pro- processed every week on the podcast. I think, like you said... Being a writer and a reporter is one thing, but being on a podcast, you kind of can kind of maybe share your opinion a little more than you otherwise would. So I think that's what makes the podcast really great. And I think um, even before I joined the podcast, that's why I enjoyed listening to you on the podcast, Jamie. And I know that a lot of listeners said that listening to this podcast has been part of their weekly routines and They hope this podcast doesn't go away. They've been asking about it. So just to address that, because that is a question we got a lot of uh, in our final uh, soliciting tweet for questions. As we said two episodes ago, uh, that's episode 32. It's still not really clear what the future holds for Soccer Made in Portland. I guess technically with Jamie leaving, I will technically be the last host standing, although I still feel uh, pretty new to it. So, you know, if I'm still covering the Timbers or the Thorns next season, which I hope that I will be, I'd love to find a way to keep the podcast going. If not, you know, maybe someone else could take it over. Or, you know, I think we both would hate to see the podcast go away, but that's a possibility as well. I mean, like I said last time, This podcast has gone through many permutations. It was originally a fan podcast started in 2011 by Michael Orr and Kelly McLean. So shout out to them for starting it. It sort of just evolved from there. So we'll see what happens next if something happens next. Either way, the podcast is definitely going on hiatus for a little while in the offseason. And, you know, if there are any updates, I would encourage people to follow me on Twitter uh, my username is at Caitlin Murr, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-M-U-R-R. I'll have any updates there. But the podcast isn't over yet, Jamie. We still have got an hour or knowing us more than an hour <laughs> left as a podcast duo. So I, I kind of don't want to get to it. I don't want this podcast <laughs> to end, but it has to. I kind of don't want to talk about how bad the Timbers and the Thorns looked, but I guess we have to, right? Yeah, I guess we have to. Uh, like I said before, abrupt endings for both teams, and, and it wasn't uh, that great look for either of them in the playoffs. Timbers versus RSL, you were the more optimistic one going into these playoffs run runs. I was a little bit pessimistic on both sides. I predicted a Timbers 1-0 loss. They lost 2-1. to one. Uh, I did predict a Saverino goal, and he did score the game winner. You thought the Timbers would win 2-1 to one with a Blanco uh scoring a banger that did not happen unfortunately for the Timbers. I just want to I want to <laughs> point out I didn't really believe that would happen <laughs> I think we were both really pessimistic in our previous yeah. podcast but Sebastian Blanco did attempt a quote-unquote banger and I yes. thought maybe my prediction would actually end up happening but alas that goal that equalizer, that game-winning goal, those were just not there for the Timbers. Yeah, and it started with a really poor first half. I think 
that first 45 minutes, it, it just looked like the Timbers weren't ready to play. They improved in the second half, but they still end up conceding that late goal uh, that sends RSL through. I guess to start, I, I mean, who do you kind of blame this loss on? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there is a lot of blame to go around. As you mentioned, I think the Timbers came out looking incredibly flat, lacking sharpness, lacking energy. They did not look up for the game at all. They took zero shots in the first half. So, I I mean, I guess you could say the coaching staff didn't get the players mentally ready, but it's a playoff game. Like, how could the players not be motivated and hungry uh, to win that game. So coming out flat, I think, was really inexcusable. When you look at the Timbers' record conceding first, pretty obvious that they couldn't let RSL score first. But then on the other side, Giovanni Savarese and his coaching staff made some very weird lineup decisions that we heard a lot about from fans that we are going to have to discuss all of them. But I think that these decisions, the game management made a winnable game a loss. I, I really think that the Timbers could have won this game, but not starting Diego Valeri was crazy to me. I don't know what Andy Polo did to earn a start because, again, he was a non-factor, as he's mostly been all season. Taking Jeremy Obobese out in the second half, I thought was very bad move. Subbing in Claude Dielna when you're behind and pushing for an equalizer. I mean, there are a lot of things, so I guess... We have to talk about all of those, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely speaks. I I mean, you have to have blame on every side. I I mean, even from the level of Gavin Wilkinson, putting this team together and and getting to a point this season where uh, apparently their two best players weren't weren't good enough or weren't in a good enough state to be in that chance, be in a playoff game. I I mean, I think there's blame from everywhere in the organization. And yes, I, I don't want to put all the blame on Savaresi because we're going to talk about that. And I think there is plenty of blame to go his way. I, I mean, to be fair to him with Abobasi coming out, he did say Abobasi was feeling tight. Uh, we didn't ask Jeremy, unfortunately, directly about that after the game. He just said he was doing fine, but he didn't contradict anything that Savaresi said. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that's why that substitution was made. The Claudiel in the substitution, I don't understand. Uh, maybe the Timbers just didn't have enough attacking options when, when you look at their bench, but you got to think you want to have enough attacking options off the bench that if you're in that situation, you can put on a player and throw numbers forward and try to get that equalizer. And Claude Yelna certainly wasn't going to help with that. Um, And so the game management standpoint, yes, there was a lot of issues there, but yeah, the players weren't up to play. And I I don't know what that speaks to. I I mean, does it speak to just the mentality of the season, how it's gone or, or, a lack of preparation or, or the players just not being able to handle the cold weather in Salt Lake. E- either way, I don't think there's an excuse for that. So I, I think the players at the same time, especially you know, veterans like Diego Chara, Sebastian Blanco that need to lead this team and make sure that they're up for the game uh, deserve a lot of blame for this as well. Yeah. I mean, on the substitutions, I think with Claude Dielna, I think they put him on so that they could switch to a three-back, I guess, to push numbers up. But is that really the best way to make an attacking sub? Wouldn't you rather have fresh legs, someone who can go at goal? It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I think that was a decision that Savaresi thought was the best decision. Or if there weren't enough good attacking players on the bench, then to your point, that falls on the organization that falls to Gavin Wilkinson, that falls on the roster construction. So there's that point. 
And then when it comes to Jeremy Obobese, I know that Saver I say said that he had calf tightness, but this is the direct quote. I have pulled it up. This is what Gio said. He said, quote, we had to make sure we didn't lose him. We have only one striker, so we have to make sure that we manage him as much as we can, end quote. That, to me, sounds like he was trying to reserve Jeremy Obobese for a future playoff game that might not have even happened. It didn't sound to me like Jeremy Obobese is injured. He has to come off. It was more, we're being cautious. We wanted to make sure that we would have him for our next game. In a one-off playoff situation, I don't see how you do that. I think you have to just try to win that game. And we're going to talk about some of these other things, so I won't jump ahead, but Giovanni Savarese and the Timbers claimed that Brian Fernandez had a stomach virus for weeks, and now it has become increasingly clear that that probably was not true. So I don't know if I entirely am convinced about the calf tightness. When Jeremy Obobese, when you asked him after the game, he said he was fine. So uh, I have a lot of questions, um, but not to jump ahead, because I think we do have to talk about the Diego Valeri decision not to start him and some other things in this game. Yeah, let's talk about the Valeri's decision now because I think we're sort of uh, talking around that point. And Gio gave a similar reasoning for not starring Diego Valeria as you just talked about with the Bovisi. He said Valeria was just coming back from injury and he needed to be careful to manage his minutes, um, obviously for a next potential game. On top of that, he said that he felt the lineup that he had played against San Jose in the final regular season game had done well enough to deserve to start again in the playoffs. What in the world did you think of the decision? And I think I'm going to have a lot stronger opinion here as well, but um, of leaving Diego Valeria on the bench and doing it for those reasons. I think the tone of the way you said that sort of says it all, Jamie. Uh, That was not good reasoning. I thought it was a ludicrous decision, to be honest. Diego Valeri was healthy enough to play. And if he's healthy, he should be starting. I think there can be a question of whether he was a full 90 minutes fit or not. I still would start him. As we saw in the first half, the Timbers really could have used a veteran with some leadership out there on the field. I can only conclude that this was related to the contract negotiations and the tension, uh, or at least it was a factor. I don't know that it was entirely that, but I think it has to be a factor because the reasons that Giovanni Savarese gave you when you asked him in Salt Lake just aren't good enough reasons. We talked last week about how San Jose's man-to-man marking system really exposed them against the Timbers, and it gave the Timbers a huge advantage in that game. RSL doesn't play remotely the way the earthquakes play. So I'm not sure how you could look at the way that team without Valeri played against the earthquakes and say they're going to do the same thing against RSL. We also talked last week about how San Jose was on a five-game losing streak and they were in free fall. RSL had won their previous two games. RSL is a better team. They were in better form. So to use that as the justification is not something that I can really comprehend. And on top of that, Diego Valeri carried the Timbers on his back throughout the 2018 MLS playoffs to the MLS Cup. He scored four goals, two of them game winners. He had two assists. I don't think he had a great 2018, but 
Diego Valeri is a winner and a veteran, and he knows how to win in these types of games. I would also add Diego Valeri is a designated player, and maybe the Timbers don't think that he's a DP caliber player anymore. I think that is clear by everything that has gone on with the contract negotiations, but he's still a high-level TAM guy. He's not a guy that you just leave on the bench. So I had a lot of questions and issues with Diego Valeri not starting, and I thought that Giovanni Savarese's reasoning was pretty unsatisfying. Yeah, I mean, Diego Valeri is the heartbeat of this team. I I mean, this team is built around Diego Valeri, and maybe it won't be for much longer, but you don't leave your legendary best player in in team history on the bench for a big playoff game. I I mean, you just don't. You don't see that around sports uh, unless there are other issues going on behind the scenes, as you alluded to. I I mean, Valeria had started 17 games in the playoffs in his career for the Timbers. Uh, He's obviously gone through the playoffs with the Timbers multiple times since 2013. He's been very effective for them, particularly in last year's playoffs, that the Timbers would not have made MLS Cup without him. And They wouldn't even gotten past the first round without (laughs) him. (laughs) Um. And I, I mean, I thought it was laughable to, to point to the San Jose game against a, a team that was had absolutely faded by that point. Yeah. Uh, the Timbers, <laughs> yes, played well against San Jose, but they hadn't been playing well before then. And it, it wasn't like that was some massive turning point. They played against a weak team and they, they managed at home to, to get their attack going a little bit. Yeah. They were going on the road to RSL and they needed a player that was going to give them a spark in the attack and they left Diego Valeri on the bench. So I don't know if he would have made the difference, but I think you'd prefer to be in the situation where you lose with your best player on the field, than Mm -hmm. leave him off and then wonder if he could have made the difference in you guys advancing. Yeah. I think that when Diego Valeri came on, there was hope that that was going to help the Timbers find their way back in the game. However, Diego Valeri came on for Jeremy Obobese, and we sort of already talked about that decision to take Jeremy Obobese off and why I still have questions, even with the calf tightness being the reason. But I think that when Diego Valeri came on, he was not given the opportunity to make the impact that he could have otherwise because Jeremy Obobese came off. And Jeremy Obobese and Diego Valeri play so well together. They play off each other. And not having a Bobasi really hindered Valeri's ability to make the combination plays and, you know, do all the things that Diego Valeri does. Jeremy Bobasi has talked about going into 50-50 balls knowing that Diego Valeri is going to be there to get the ball and do something with it. And I think with Jeremy Obobese and the way he combines with the players around him, helps the Timbers maintain possession in the final third, the way he does win those balls. Once he wasn't there, the Timbers struggled to maintain possession in the attacking part of the field. Yeah, I think that without Brian Fernandez as um, in as a factor in this playoff run, the Timbers really needed their best three attacking players to work off each other and be in the lineup together. And that would be a Bovisi, yeah. Blanco, and Valeri. And they didn't allow that to happen by bringing Valeri off the bench for a Bovisi, um and, and making the decision to not start Valeri. I think given all the struggles the Timbers had in the attack uh, leading into the playoffs, that was their best option, trying to hope that those three players and their ability to combine in the final third was what was going to lead them through a game in Salt Lake. Um, yeah. I, I think 
I guess it's debatable of the reason why Bobasi came off. I, I definitely don't think that was the ideal substitution. And I, I do think that this is just sort of sad. I, I mean, this could be the end of Diego Valeri's era with the Timbers. And he had minimal time in a playoff game coming off the bench while it was snowing to try to make an impact on a game. And he didn't play the final two home games. And it, it's just one of those things where you've seen this great career he's put together. And it just ends in, in, in such a whimper. And, it, and it's, it, I just think it could have been handled so differently. And, it, and it's just a, such a sad way to see the season end with, with him you know, only getting limited time off the bench. I hope that wasn't Diego Valeri's last game for the Timbers because it's almost, maybe I'm being a little hyperbolic, but it almost seems disrespectful to bring him off the bench in a game as important as that, knowing that he was available. I really think that the Timbers should have just had all their best players out there, and I can't fathom any reasoning not to do that. Yeah, so I think it brings us to a question that a lot of uh, different listeners asked, but um, Senor Fern was one of them. He wants to know, should Gio be replaced? Yeah, I've seen a lot of fans, surprisingly, saying, or maybe not surprisingly, but saying that they think Gio should be fired. And I think there is a 0% chance of that happening. If, for instance, we think that not starting Diego Valeri contributed to this loss... I think that the front office was 100% behind the decision not to start Diego Valeri. I think that the Timbers are trying to move on from him, and I think they were trying to prove a point that they don't need him. They, you know, contract negotiations uh, can be very tense and contentious, and I think they definitely played a factor in that decision. And if we kind of pull back on the season as a whole, I think the front office believed in what Savarese was trying to do the whole time. I mean, just looking at Savarese's record with the team on paper, I mean, he made it to MLS Cup last year. The Timbers went 15 games unbeaten at one point. The Timbers had a pretty set style that they played. They absorbed and countered. It worked. This season, I think the Timbers, and I think Giovanni Savarese, wanted the Timbers to become more proactive, more attacking, play a higher pressure system similar to what Gio uh, played with the New York Cosmos. I don't think any of that worked this year. I think the Timbers looked bad, but I think the front office supported Gio trying to move things in that direction. So whether he should be replaced, I'm not sure. I think in general, I, I do think that clubs can just move on way too quickly from coaches and not really even give them a chance. I would not want to see the Timbers turn into Orlando City and just fire their coaches constantly. I don't think that is helpful. So I'm fine with the Timbers not making a change. I think just based on what Gio did last year, he has earned the benefit of the doubt but I also just don't even think it's possible. I think there's just no chance that the Timbers are interested in that and we will see him next season. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point about the lineup decisions, obviously those come down to the decision the coach wants to make, but it's not like he's not running that by Gavin and Merritt. And if there was some big disagreement over the lineup decisions, I think at minimum it would be a discussion within the front office. It wasn't like the front office was caught off guard on the night of the game when they found out Diego Valeri wasn't starting or anything like that. I completely agree with you that Gio will be back next year. Um, after making MLS Cup in his first year as a head coach, I, I think it would be 
too soon to just completely give up on this project. I mean, he did inherit an aging team uh, that's built around the core that Caleb Porter put together, and, and they only got a year older this year. And, and so that doesn't help um, when you're trying to build a team and you're trying to build them the style that you want. And so there is some element of that that you have to give Geo the benefit of the doubt that they're this is a team that is towards the end of uh, an era um, one way or another, whether Valeri comes back next year or doesn't, he's only going to be here if he comes back for a few more years. And the core of this team is getting older. And I, I think you also cannot blame Gio for the fact that Brian Fernandez comes in and ends up in um, a substance abuse program. I, I mean, that was yeah. hugely important to how the season played out. Had, had Gio had the ability to play Fernandez, I, things I think, and had Fernandez been playing at the level um, he was capable of, I, I think things would have played out very differently. So mm-hmm. I think Gio should definitely take blame for this season. I think given how it turned out, I mean, this is a disappointment and I, I think it, it puts him more on the hot seat heading into next year. Um, but there were things that were out of his control. And after making MLS cup in, in year one, he has the leeway to at least, I think, go into year three and see if he can write the ship. Yeah, and I think speaking of some things that were out of his control, we have a question from Jason. He asked, how badly do you feel the combination of construction disruption and the fan code of conduct dispute damaged the fan culture and relationship between the fans and the club? Jamie, I think we agree. There's no question that the morale this season got really bad toward the end, right? Yeah, and I think it was a combination of... uh, three things and we talked we've talked about all of them it, the the protests around the iron front were definitely a part of it i think it did create uh, the the timbers army obviously you know they were effective mls ended up lifting its band on the iron front symbol um so in that sense it those were effective protests and, and i think the ta would do it again if they had the opportunity mm-hmm. um because of what they were fighting for but yeah, it did lead to a more subdued atmosphere at Providence Park. It did lead, I, I think, to uh, souring the relationship a little bit between the front office and at least certain fans. I, I mean, I think tr- it's hard to read on how many fans this impacted um, because obviously the Timbers Army as a supporters group sort of has the biggest voice within the stadium. And, and also a lot of these fans are on social media, on Twitter. So you're seeing those voices out there all the time in terms of, what the relationship between clubs and the fans look like going forward. Um, But yeah, I I don't think it helped the atmosphere at games. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the construction in and of itself wasn't an issue, but because there were so many games backlogged at Providence Park late in the year, you saw sort of the interest uh, sort of died down. You saw season ticket holders in like the key bank club, clearly just not showing up for the midweek games because there had already been a game on the weekend. Um, And that also contributed to, I I think, the stadium looking as empty as I've ever seen it, even though they were still technically sellouts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Gio, I think, talked to some of this. I mean, he he implied when he was talking after games that, like, they want the fan support and the energy behind them um, and and when that's happening. He did bring up in some games, like, when the Timbers actually played well, he would give credit to the fans. I noticed that he... More than last season, because I feel like the fans are always great. That's just kind of part of the fabric of being at Providence Park. But he went out of his way to mention it. And if you'll recall, when there was the protest, he seemed sort of angry when he was asked about it. He didn't really 
say anything. It was more so in the subtext, in his body language, and kind of the way he said he didn't want to talk about it, but he seems sort of upset about it. So I Providence Park just started to feel a little less special this year, because when you're there constantly, it's not a special occasion anymore. And I agree. I, we saw less fans. It definitely changed the atmosphere. Yeah, and I think it had to have contributed to some degree at the Timbers, uh, you know, completely blowing that home stretch. I, I mean, the Timbers w- were in a good situation coming out of the road stretch. So in that sense, the construction should not have impacted them in terms of their form because they had plenty of home games based on where they were in the standings to get up to third, second in the Western Conference. And they just didn't take advantage of that. Um, I think the Valeri contract situation and the Brian Fernandez situation, I mean, especially the Brian Fernandez situation, that was clearly something that was going on and being a distraction behind the scenes for a while before we found out there was no way that that just came out of nowhere in terms of the players knowing about it. So Mm -hmm. I think those were all big distractions for the team um, that definitely contributed to, to the morale, not being where it used to be contributed to the dip in form. It doesn't excuse. I think the, the fact that the Timbers at home couldn't get the job done when they had the opportunity to easily move up the standings like other teams have in the past. But yeah, you can't look at the season without, I think, looking at those three separate distractions and, and, and saying they played a role. 100%. I agree with all of those. I don't need to repeat you. I will just add that on top of those things, the Timbers played ugly, bad soccer that wasn't fun to watch. And I don't think that was really helpful either. So when you have these other things going on, And then the team that you're there to watch, the team that is sort of at the center of all these other things going on, isn't exciting, isn't playing well, isn't entertaining. I think that also has to hurt because there have been seasons in the past, Jamie, where I remember the feeling of being at Providence Park and those games were electric. The way the Timbers attacked and it was just wave after wave and you were just kind of on the edge of your seat waiting for them to score. This Timbers team was not like that. A lot of the games felt like slogs. The Timbers just kind of limped through the games a little bit. Uh, They didn't have the same sort of dynamism or electricity that I think we have seen in the past. So I think... All the non-soccer things are definitely a factor, but I also think the soccer might have been a factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, there's, I think there's a reason. (laughs) I mean, looking back, it seems silly, but I think there's a reason why when Brian Fernandez came in and the Timbers were on the road and everything was coming together, I looked at this team and I said, this is the most talented roster the Timbers have ever compiled because just the way that they looked at the attack, how electric they looked when Fernandez was playing at his best and, and adding that to Blanco and Valeri and also having a Bobasi in there. This team really looked like it was a, a team that was ready to potentially contend again uh, for an MLS Cup. And then it just completely unraveled at home. I, I yeah. mean, obviously, Fernandez's situation was a big part of that, but outside of that i mean the other players should have been talented enough in the attack to do better i mean they went 319 minutes at home without scoring a goal which just speaks to how much of a slog and a drag it was watching a lot of these games at prominence park yeah i'm i'm hopeful that next season when you're a fan and you're sitting in the sands <laughs> it'll be a lot more fun for you <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta hope um 
I think it does bring us to where the Timbers go from here. And I think a lot of the questions we were asked were about offseason moves. Let's just run through several players that I think people care a lot about to, to see whether they will be back or whether they won't. And so I'm just going to run through um, yep. three players, starting with Diego Valeri. Will he be back next year? Yeah. So I feel like even a week ago, I was more optimistic that he would be back. But now I am going to go with no. I heard some things after the RSL game that, like I said, convinced me that the front office was supportive of Diego Valeri not starting and that they are trying to move on from him. That being said, I don't think anything is set in stone yet. I mean, I could be wrong while we're recording right now. Maybe something will break. But, I mean, from what I've heard, talks are still going on. I just don't think it looks very good. Yeah, I I mean, I think Timbers have an offer on the table that they would be happy to accept if Valeri will accept it. I, I, I think that the club is still hopeful that he'll come back, but I also don't think they're about to budge on what they've offered. So yeah, I think this relationship has been fractured. I, I think the fact that Larry didn't start, I don't think that can help because obviously he was available and I, I'm sure as a player, he didn't feel great about that potentially being his last game. Yeah, Things can change, but I'm not, I agree with you. I'm not feeling very positive about it right now. Um, and I, unless the Timbers were willing to change, uh, change direction and offer him a lot more money and offer him that DP spot, I'm not sure based on everything I, I I've seen that Valeri's about to change his mind and, and take a lot less money and a, a contract that's not a DP spot. So we've talked about this in past podcasts that just the structure of MLS, the way it works, the Timbers sort of their hands are tied. They can't give him the big you were a franchise player for us. Here's your big bonus at the end. You see that a lot in other sports. They can't really do that here if they're serious about trying to improve the roster next year. So like I said, doesn't look great. I do think the Timbers are still trying to make it happen. I think they're optimistic, but I don't know. Like you said, Diego Valeri not starting, I think was a bad sign. Yeah, the relationship I don't think is in a good spot. And and that's what needs to be in a good spot if something's going to shift because somebody is going to have to accept a situation that's not ideal for either them personally or the business side of the organization. So yeah, there I just has don't to be a like... compromise. And it's hard to compromise if you don't yeah. respect each other and trust each other. Yeah, I hope it hasn't come to the level where they don't respect each other. But uh, it's not it just clearly is not going the direction the club or Valeria, I think, wanted. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, talk about the other big designated player that may or may not be coming back next year, and that's Brian Fernandez. After him going into MLS's uh, substance abuse program, after the situation where he wasn't able to play for a month before that, essentially, do you think the Timbers bring him back next year? So this is a tough one. I'm going to say yes, even though... It has been reported that the Timbers had some outs written into their contract with the Fernandez. I sort of wonder how ironclad those clauses are because we haven't really gotten much information about what those outs are. I think that the information that this is in the contract is something that the Timbers would want out there. So it looks like they didn't make a bad deal with Fernandez, but I'm I'm not really sure. I feel like... Fernandez and his agent wouldn't have signed a contract that the Timbers could easily get out of. So 
there that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that the Timbers paid a record amount of money for Brian Fernandez knowing full well his past with cocaine use and the suspensions he has served in the past. So I'm not sure how this can really scare them off. Like, this isn't a surprise that this could have come up or been an issue. I think that Brian Fernandez kind of turned out to be who we thought he was when he first arrived in Portland, which is a really talented guy who has had some issues off the field. So I'm going to predict, yes, that he's going to be back. I I think in terms of what outs are written to the contract, I I think it's been reported that it might be the contract. It might be in the transfer agreement. I think that makes a little bit of a difference. I I wish we could see these and they were public. So we could speculate, I, I think, um, make a more educated guess on yeah. what's going to happen because I think it really depends on what is written to, into the transfer agreement and into if the contract. If only MLS was subject to FOIA laws. Yeah. Every journalist friend, unfortunately, MLS does not have to answer FOIA requests. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I think, I mean, if they can get money back from the transfer, that could lead them to to move on from Fernandez. If it's simple enough for the him them to get out of the contract, that could lead them to move on. But if their investment is what it is and, and they can't really get that back, it does it's not gonna make much sense um for them to give up on Fernandez when when they're out all this money. So I am gonna just I guess to be different than you. I'm, I'm going to lean with no. Um, mm. And like I said, it's so dependent on how these contracts and the transfer agreement is written. Uh, so I could see it going either way. But I, I think given that the Timbers might be losing Diego Valeri and they might be sort of starting over in terms of building their core, building a team around Sebastian Blanco and, and sort of bringing in players that can support him. I just don't see them wanting to start over while they're building around Fernandez as a core piece when there's so many question marks about yeah. the player he's going to be and the person he's going to be moving forward and whether he's going to be in a place where he can play a full season uh, at the level that he's clearly capable of. So I would be wary about building a team around Fernandez, particularly with Valeri either leaving or leaving within the next few years. And I think if the Timbers have outs that make financial sense, so that they will take them. Yeah, and I think, you know, after Lucas Milano, which uh, I think currently goes down as sort of the biggest bust in Timber's history, unfortunately I mean, Chris for Boyd, him. but probably Lucas Milano. Chris Boyd's up there, though. Yeah, well, Lucas Milano at the time was a record signing yeah. for the Timbers, though. So I imagine that after that, the Timbers might be a little more careful about maybe the way they structure the contract. So maybe they... Maybe you're right that they really did create a good out for themselves because you have to think they would have loved to get out of their contract with Lucas Milano, although Lucas Milano uh, didn't have any off-the-field issues that we are aware of. But I think they have felt being locked into expensive DP contracts before. So, you know, maybe they learned some lessons from that and they were really careful. I mean... As it is, I thought that Brian Fernandez was sort of a very different DP than Lucas Milano because Brian Fernandez was sort of a proven product in terms of what he could do on the field. And I think with Lucas Milano, they were betting a little bit more on his potential. So I think it's possible that they learned some lessons and they created those outs for themselves. So I'm, I'm like I said, I'm just guessing this could go either way. 
But like I said, they knew all these things when they did bring Brian Fernandez in. So we'll have to see. All right. Uh, a third player that I think we might agree on, but we'll see. Uh, Steve Clark. Is he going to be back next year? Yes, 100%. I think, Jamie, you and I agree. We thought he should have made the shortlist for goalkeeper of the year in MLS. Um, or at least, I don't know, been in the discussion. I don't think he was really <laughs> even in the conversation. He had the, I think he had the highest save percentage and the second lowest goals against average of any goalkeeper that, I don't know, I tweeted it. Go to my Twitter. I don't remember. But he clearly had a really good season and... I absolutely think he will be back next year. He did tell you in Salt Lake City, Jamie, that his contract is expiring at the end of this year, which we didn't know that his contract was up. So that was nice of him to tell you that so that we know that. But I imagine that the Timbers are definitely going to try to resign him. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think the Timbers will resign him. I I think not only was he a good player for them, I think he became a really important leader and a fan favorite on this team. I don't think there would be any reason to move on from him at this point, unless for some reason they couldn't reach a a number that worked. But he's not like at a DP or TAM level, so I don't think that would be an issue. Mm -hmm. I think it does raise a bigger question, though. If Clark, if we're assuming that Clark is coming back, what does this mean for the other three goalkeepers on the roster who's going to be back next year uh, beyond Clark so I haven't heard anything about the other goalkeepers so maybe you have more insight but I mean if there are concerns that Jeff Atanella is injury prone or he's not going to be fully healthy then maybe he doesn't return of course I don't know his contract status you might have a better idea Jamie I don't see the Timbers carrying four goalkeepers on the roster again. I think that is too many. They have Clark, Adanella, Ivicic, and Kendall McIntosh. And um, McIntosh is basically only featured for T2 since he's been in Portland, but he is on the first team roster. Ivicic came in. He ended up featuring a bit for T2, never played with the first team, but they had high hopes for him when they brought him in. He was just injured early in the season. And I think Adanella at this point... um, had been a starter and kind of would be thrown back into a backup role. So my feeling about this is that I could see Jeff Adonello leaving. I think if the Timbers still want to keep building with McIntosh, and I think he is the other guy that could potentially leave as well. At this point, he's been around for a while. If the Timbers don't see any future with him, maybe they just move on from him entirely. But I think they are investing a decent amount of money in Jeff Adnella. And if they don't see him starting and they think Ivicic is someone they've invested in and can be a backup unless he's been a complete bust, we don't really know since we've seen pretty much uh, nothing from him. Um, But if they think he's a young player they can invest in for the future, I just don't see where Jeff Adnella is going to fit on this roster moving forward. And I think that would be tough because he has become a fan favorite here, but That's the biggest question mark for me is whether Jeff Adnell is coming back. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you want to invest a lot of money in a goalkeeper that's sitting on the bench. And some of this is going to be dictated by what sort of money they need available to make other moves and how many other moves they plan on making in the offseason. But I do think that they believe that these younger backups are players that they can develop. And I think... They'll probably try to do that if they expect that Steve Clark can continue to start and they can get, you know, a full season out of him. Do you think there's any other players, uh, big offseason moves that you're expecting that we should hit on? 
I want to preface this by saying I don't know any of these players' contract statuses, and that is a really big factor in this. But I'm just going to name the players who I think if the Timbers can part ways with them, they might go ahead and do that. I think Andy Polo did not make an impact this season. And I think since he's gotten to Portland, he has not been that effective. And it's unfortunate because I think for Peru, he has played pretty well. On international duty, he has looked pretty good. But for the Timbers, it's just never clicked. He's never been that productive. I don't know if I see a role for him. I think they can get a better winger in that spot, and that would make more sense. Uh, Dirona Spria, God bless him, Mr. October, Mr. November. He keeps delivering towards the end of the season, but I don't know if it's a great investment to have a player who doesn't really do anything for like 95% of the year and then shows up at the end of the year. So he's another candidate. And then I sort of wonder about the back line. I think the back line needs some help. I wonder about Jorge Viafania. He's 30 years old. He's been really solid at times, but I think he had some bad games. I think the RSL game included. He could not keep up, and RSL was really attacking down his side. So, And the Timbers like their outside backs to be fast attacking players, so conceivably they could upgrade there. Speaking of the back line, Claude Dielna has not panned out. I think we have discussed that at length already on this podcast in the past. Uh, I sort of wonder why Modu Jadama is on the roster. I mean, the defense wasn't playing that well. There were points where they didn't really have a lot of players, and he couldn't really help out the team. Eric Williamson, another one who he's just playing for T2 at this point. Um, And, I mean, they need guys, I guess, who are young that they can develop and who are going to play games for T2 and then try to work their way into the first team. Um, but I do sometimes wonder about Eric Williamson and what sort of future the Timbers actually see for him. I do know that because Williamson is a homegrown and they have his homegrown rights, the Timbers, if they were to sell him, instead of the league taking a cut, the Timbers would get 100% of that. So it's definitely in their interest to develop him. So I think he'll stick around. I just I sort of wonder what his future is with this team. Um, but those are the big ones. I might be missing some players. Uh, what do you think, Jamie? I think you hit on most of them. Um, so I, I think I was going to mention some of the same. I, I will mention that Claudia Elna was on a one-year deal from from what I remember at the beginning of the season. I absolutely mm. do not see him coming back. Um, I would be shocked if he came back, but I've also said that about Espria in the past. So we'll see. If <laughs> on both record. Those it players, is on yes. record, people. <laughs> um, we'll see if both those players shock us and, and come back. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to bring either of them back. And I, Andy Polo was the other big one I was going to mention. I, I just don't think that's really panned out. If the Timbers have the leeway to go get a designated player in the attack, maybe someone that can play as a winger, I think it would make a lot more sense to bring Polo back, who was obviously on a loan deal. I'm not sure what it looks like now in terms of his contract situation and where he's at. Um, but if they can get out of that, I would also agree that that might be someone they move on from. I'd be more willing to think they're going to keep Williamson and maybe even Jadama uh, as younger, cheaper players that they can still hope to develop. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. someone like Julio Cascante, I, I think, is a question mark. I think they've been pretty high on him, but it's clearly been up and down. Yeah. So we will see. 
but I think center back is a position they're going to have to upgrade one way or another. And, and if that means they have to lose a few center backs because of that, I, I think after the L9, maybe you look at Cascante as the next one you are, aren't so sure about, depending on the contract status. I agree. I think, I mean, look, it's been on record on this podcast that I don't think either of us have thought Julio Cascante has had a great season. The Timbers definitely seem to appreciate him more than maybe we did. But I agree. I think he would be a contender uh, behind Dielna if they're going to swap out some center backs. All right. So Martin wants to know, what do the Timbers have to do to keep up with the continually evolving and advancing league? Yeah, I think the Timbers have become progressively more ambitious uh, with respect to the designated players they've signed. Going after Brian Fernandez was a big bet. Uh, reported $10 million, somewhere in that range, transfer for him. That's the most that the club has ever spent on a player. So I think their DPs have gotten pretty ambitious. Where I think the Timbers really need to evolve to sort of keep up with the league, as Martin says, is I'd like to see their TAM-level players be bigger players because I've talked about in the past, I think that the construction of this roster is three to four really good players and then a bunch of average to below average players. And I think that's where the Timbers can improve and be a little more ambitious and evolve. And some clubs, their TAM players are really big, important players. How often on the Timbers are we talking about their TAM level guys? So I I think that's where they can really improve. Get some special and important TAM players so it's not just all about the DPs. Because I think that the Timbers are a team that you sort of expect that Diego Valeri, Sebastian Blanco, Brian Fernandez, the DPs have to have really big games for them to play well. They need some more depth. They need some players who can have special games and produce magic who are not designated players. Yeah, I mean, I think they also have to improve their designated players right now because I'm just not sure about, if if you're just talking the business side, I'm not sure how much more Diego Valeri can bring from a designated player standpoint. And I'm not confident in Brian Fernandez being able to lead the team for an entire season after what happened this year. I think that the Timbers are spending enough money. I think that's a misconception when people talk about, oh, the Timbers being cheap or or things like that. I I see that come up when the Timbers are playing poorly. I don't think that's the issue. I think they've been spending enough when you look at their payroll. Yeah, I think they're in the top third of the league, right? Yeah, they're absolutely... They're definitely not at the bottom, so... Yeah, they're not at the very top, but they're definitely in the top third. And and so... It, they have to hit more than they miss. And I, I think they've had some big misses like Lucas Milano. I think that hampered them for years, having a designated player yeah. and having invested that much money. And I think that could be the same with Brian Fernandez or if Diego Valeri comes back on a contract and can't live up to that contract. Um, similarly with TAM level players. I mean, Andy Polo is a TAM level player. That is not a good use of that money. I think Christian Paredes, that's a good use. I, I think he is a, a good player, but you have to have young players like Paredes and Abobasi who are still developing, surrounded by some established players that you're putting TAM money into. So mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. think it's spending more money. I think it's finding a better way to spend the money they're already spending. Yeah, I think you make a good point that when it comes to designated players, it seems like they've been missing as much as they've been hitting 
they need to sort of get that success rate up a little bit, uh, especially for the amount of money that they're spending. You're right. Lucas Milano really did sort of hamstring them for a while. And unfortunately for poor Lucas Milano, they didn't get much out of that. So uh, that is a very good point. The last thing that I think we are a little bit already touched on, but just to kind of conclude our discussion on on the offseason is, um, do you see any specific positional needs that the Timbers are going to go after? I think that the back line just in general needs to improve. I think that Jorge Marrera had a tough start to the season, but by the end, I mean, he really turned it around. He was very good for the Timbers, maybe arguably one of the best right backs in the league. Um, part of that is, I think, the way the Timbers play, and they asked him to do a lot. Um, but he he stood out as a player on the back line who played particularly well. But I sort of have questions along the rest of the back line. Larry Smabiala is very good. He's also 32 and not super consistent. And you sort of wonder if the Timbers need to reinforce their back line a little bit. I still think that Larry Smabiala starts. He brings a lot of leadership, veteran experience, but they need a really good backup for him in case he gets injured or he becomes even more inconsistent going forward. So like you mentioned, I think Julio Cascante could be a player that we see leave, although I'm not so sure. Um, but they, like I said, Viafania, they could look at upgrading left back. I just think that the back line wasn't good enough this year. Um, and then I'd also probably look at central midfield. Uh, Diego Chara has not slowed down, so I don't know if we need to worry about that yet. I think Christian Paredes took a leap forward, and that was very positive, but... If Diego Valeri leaves, they obviously are going to use their next DP slot on bringing in a number 10 who can play a, a role that the Timbers, as we saw this season, really needs more of, which is unlock, unlocking defenses, playing more of a playmaking type role. Um, I would say backline, central midfield are probably the two main areas. Um, but I don't know. It, depending what happens with Fernandez, maybe they need to get a winger. I mean... There are a lot of questions at this point. You talked about the the center back, so I won't talk too much about that. I agree with you that there has to be at least one big change at center back. Um, and even if that's just replacing Claudia Elna with someone that's going to be a lot more effective. But I think the biggest offseason question is what they're going to do with their designated player spots. And I think yeah. if they bring back the same three designated players that they had last year, I'm just not confident they're going to be in, in a good situation going into next season. I think... They have to look seriously at what is going to happen with Diego Valeri and uh, Brian Fernandez. Yep, I agree. So one final uh, question that I think leads us in to the Timber or to the Thorns discussion. Uh, Rose wants to know, what did you see as the high and low point for the Timbers and Thorns this season? Ooh, what a loaded question from LaRose. Um, I think the, the low points... Um, for me, I think that claiming Brian Fernandez had a stomach virus when <laughs> it was kind of apparent that he didn't, as we talked about in this podcast, I thought that was sort of a low point. For the Thorns, um, I think a low point was uh, the team not knowing that they coach playoffs. So I guess uh, these are sort of off the field low points, but the, the losses, the bad performances sort of all blur together at this point. So I guess for me, the low points were these sort of off the field things. For the high points, 
I have to be perfectly honest, Jamie. I think the high points probably happened while I was in France covering the Women's World Cup because I'm sure that the stadium opening was a huge high point, but I was not there for that. Uh While I was in France, I wasn't really able to watch the games live because they were in the middle of the night. But every time I watched the highlights or checked out the uh, results, it looked like both teams were winning and playing really well in the summer. So I feel like I sort of missed the high points. Yeah, um, the stadium opening was a high point in a way, but Jeff Vandanella also, you know, kicked the ball straight to Carlos Vela within the first few minutes of that game. So (laughs) it sort of dampened that high point a little bit for me. Um, I would say if I'm going to give... A high point for both teams and a low point for both teams. I would say the high point for the Timbers was the signing of Brian Fernandez and having him come in for that Houston game and score a goal immediately off the bench. I think there was a ton of optimism at that moment, and he backed it up for the next um, whatever amount of weeks it was until things started to go south. I think the low point for the Timbers... I was in France during that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you missed missed the high points for sure. Um, (laughs) The low point was for me the 319 minute uh, scoreless streak at Providence Park. I, I think yeah, that was rough. That was very rough to watch. And I think something the Timbers should be very disappointed about this year. I, I mean, to not score for that long at home uh, in a league that heavily uh, favors the home team uh, was a major issue and part of the reason that, that their season turned out how it did. Yeah. Um, on the Thorns side, uh, the high point I think was Midge purse coming it, sort of having that breakout season during the summer and the thorns rising to first place in the NWSL standings. Well, of course, also you were during in the world cup. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and the low point I think very clearly is that six, nothing lost to North Carolina that sort of, yeah, they never recovered from. Yeah. Th- those are good <laughs> shouts. I don't remember the high points cause I wasn't there, but those low points, you kind of gave me PTSD just now, even mentioning them. So yeah, those are pretty good low points. <laughs> All right, let's hit one last time. We're obviously going to have a longer podcast today. I hope people bear with us. Giving, yeah, it's running long. <laughs> um, but let, let's hit let's hit our hot take segment for one more time. Um, I don't think either of our takes this week are, are very hot, but uh, I they might not even go, count as takes. To they be honest. might be more <laughs> things we just want to talk about for several minutes before getting to thorns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so me first. Yes. So my take, not hot. I think a lot of people agree with me. I love the new MLS playoff format, and I think good things happen when MLS finally listens to fans and what we want. Because I was one of those people who complained that the previous MLS playoff format took too long. It got interrupted by an international break. It took months to get through. It didn't finish until December. It just felt like it dragged on forever and it lost momentum. And you kind of forgot that playoffs were even going on. So I think that this new playoff format is going to be a lot shorter. It's going to be a lot more exciting. And I also think that it rewards the teams who had a better regular season. I mean, there was a question in the previous format of whether having the higher-seeded team host the second game was even an advantage at all. I think some people looked into it and said that it wasn't an advantage. And I always felt it was kind of weird that we had 
two legs except for the final. And I know that's what they do in UEFA Champions League, and everyone thinks that UEFA Champions League like invented soccer, and whatever they do is how soccer should work. But I always thought if we're going to argue that two legs helps you really pick a fair winner because you get a larger sample size, then why would the final, the most important game, be a one-off? I just thought that didn't make sense. I think this new playoff format leans into the idea that playoffs are manufactured drama. They are not actually designed to figure out who the best team in the league is. And it's just more fun. One-off games are more exciting. At every moment, something is on the line. And I'll point out that we actually haven't fully gotten to see the new playoff format because the first round was always single elimination. But I thought that the opening round that we just had, where the Timbers lost was a really exciting day of soccer. I watched all the games. They were all close. They were all exciting. We didn't get any of those boring, cagey, conservative matches that we used to get when there were two legs. So kudos to MLS. They made a good decision, which I think <laughs> I think fans in the league don't always think that they do, but this was the right call. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I Definitely agree on the point of it actually giving the better seed an advantage because I I always thought that hosting the first game actually was the advantage. I thought the lower seed in the old format would often get the advantage because the scoreline was sort of set by the time they got to the second game. And so if they came out to a big lead at home, it, that already put them at an advantage even though they were going on the road to mentally be able to to win the series. So... I think this actually advantages regular season performance, which I think the MLS needed to do. And I think the other big thing is that we're done by before Thanksgiving. We're done before that international break in November. We can see our families. We can see our families. (laughs) But but more important than that, I I think, I mean, not more important than that, actually, but from the MLS standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. From the MLS standpoint, it, I always felt like all the energy and excitement about playoffs completely died when you had that international break in November and suddenly you just had this random two week gap between games, maybe between rounds or in between a round or things like that. Mm -hmm. And, And so I think it's way, way better to have a format that just gets it all done in a short period of time and is finished before that November break rather than extend it on through December and have, I think fans lose interest along the way. Yes, and we won't have to, well, you're not going to be covering MLS anymore anyway, (laughs) but we won't have to go to places in December when it's cold and we kind of just want to like bundle up and like get ready to go home for Christmas and see our family. So (laughs) I kind of think that just the timing of it too, it just makes a lot more sense to get it over in November. It, it dragged down way too long. There were just way too many interruptions, other things going on. Keeping it condensed will keep people engaged, and they'll be able to follow it all the way through and not forget that MLS playoffs are going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, I will be spending my Christmases and, and Thanksgivings uh, covering games. It just... Oh, God. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> be, that the NBA schedule is even worse. I apologize. It is. So we'll, we'll see how that part goes, but... Um, my hot take segment is just how I feel about this whole podcast and, and about everything right now. And it's just, this is the end of an era for the Timbers. Um, I, I, I am very, like we talked about, I'm not sure that Diego Valeri is coming back. And I think if he leaves, you really taken away the entire core of this team, the heart of this team, and, and you have to start building in another direction. Um, even if Valeri does come back, 
I think we've seen the height of this group uh, probably last year, uh, reaching the peak and, and making a 10 Cup in, in 2018. I don't think that this group built around Diego Valeri, Diego Chara, uh, to some degree, Sebastian Blanco, although I think he will still be a core element for, for a few years to come, is going to reach another high point. I, I think this is the end of an era, and whether or not Diego Valeri comes back, this team has to start building around new players and, and a new core if they want to keep getting better. So it's been a good run. It's been a long run. Uh, but this, I, I think looking at the season and all the nostalgia and everything going in next year, I, I think it, it, you're going to have to recognize fans are going to have to recognize that this one way or another is the end of an era and the Timbers are going to have to start going in a different direction. Yeah. It does sort of feel like the team is going to start looking different in the future, which it didn't really feel that way, even when there were some changes. I mean, Fernando Adi leaving, for instance, was a pretty big deal. But I feel, to your point, like Diego Valeri has been the face of this team. He has been the leader on the field, off the field. He's so beloved by the fans that I think you take him out of the equation, either he's not going to be on the team anymore or he's not going to play as big of a role and be as much of a factor. And I think it's just going to change the feeling around the team. And we're sort of on the precipice of things changing quite a bit. And I think Giovanni Savarese inherited Caleb Porter's team, and we're kind of moving in a direction, uh, assuming that Gio will not be fired, which, as discussed, we don't think is going to happen. I think we're going to see it really sort of transition into Gio's team and that is going to feel different I I don't uh one team I don't think it's necessarily going to be the end of an era for is the Thorns um I think that their core personally is going to be back but I I think there are going to be some questions for them going into next season as well after sort of the disappointing end um to 2019 so let's get into that the Thorns go to Chicago for the semifinals of the NWSL playoffs they lose one to nothing I predicted a 2-1 loss with a curb race. She scored the one goal, um, and the Thorns did lose. You thought a 1-1 draw that would go to PKs, uh, and the Thorns would win in the shootout. Unfortunately, it was a very uh, disappointing weekend for both teams, and that did not happen. Not Let, even close. <laughs> let's start kind of in the same way we start on the Timbers and, and talk about the lineup. I, I don't think we yeah. have a clear answer. Unfortunately, I was coming back from Salt Lake. I wasn't able to get to Chicago. I haven't seen any reports from the the reporters that were there on whether Parsons gave any indication on, on the lineup questions, but Parsons doesn't start. Haley Rosso, Mitch Purse, and Ellie Carpenter. Maybe we don't know the injury status of Ellie Carpenter, but clearly Mitch Purse and, and Haley Rosso came into the game in the second half. So mm-hmm. what was your reaction to this lineup? Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that because I think it was basically Mark Parsons repeating the way the Thorns played against the Washington Spirit on the final day of the regular season. And that game ended in a 0-0 draw. It was a game that didn't matter for either team, and it played out that way. But afterward, and we commented on this on last week's podcast, afterward, the Thorns seemed to think it was a great performance, and they chalked it up as a great game, even though... Again, scoreless draw. We thought it was a lackluster performance. So I think given that Mark Parsons seemed to think that it was a good game, he went back to the well on the same 
three-back formation, putting Tobin Heath and Christine Sinclair up top together. Pretty much the same lineup, except Dagny Brunner's daughter came on uh, for Emily Ogle instead. And I thought that was surprising. For me, not starting Haley Rosso or Midge Purse um, was an obvious mistake. I think that Tobin Heath is her most effective when she can get wide and sort of use those wide spaces and create chances for her teammates or make runs into the box. And this formation and the role that she was put in didn't really allow her to do that. Um, I think Christine Sinclair, I mean, she leads the Thorns in goals, but I think there's certain types of goals that this lineup wasn't really going to create for her. So I thought that was a mistake. I think, you know, even though Midge Purse, I've talked about this before, I think she needs to improve her finishing, but she works so hard and plays such an important role in stretching back lines and creating space that I thought the Thorns really missed that. I would have liked to see her start. I thought when Haley Rasso came on in the second half, I thought that changed the game. Uh, the Thorns looked more dynamic. I also think uh, another factor was that the Thorns came out incredibly flat, just like the Timbers did. It really felt like a mirror of the Timbers game one day earlier. The Thorns lacked energy, they lacked sharpness, they let the Chicago Red Stars score first, and that changes the game. When the other team scores first, your odds of winning plummet. So uh, I I was surprised uh, by the roster choices. Um, I think Ellie Carpenter, uh, that one surprised me less just because she's been a little inconsistent, error-prone. She does give you a lot going forward, but she can make some mistakes, and against a team... Like Chicago, you probably have to limit that. So that one jumped out to me less. And like you said, we don't know if, you know, there were injury concerns or anything. But the other two, Rasso and Purse, that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I think with Carpenter, she hasn't been playing a ton. And I think maybe there is sort of an undisclosed injury there. And that's kind of what I'm going to assume. I mean, I, I hope to ask Mark about this at some point. But obviously, with the season ending, that that might not happen. Uh so, yeah, I'm going to stick with just talking about Rosso in person. I, I think clearly they made a difference when they came in the game. I, I think they gave the Thorns an immediate spark in the attack. And, and for me, building on what you already said, I, I think what shocked me the most about this was the Thorns hadn't scored in four of their last five regular season games. They'd only scored one goal in five games to close out the season. Yeah. They clearly needed something to change in the attack. And they weren't going to do that by leaving two of their best attacking options on the bench. I, I mean, this is nowhere near the level of leaving Diego Valeri on the bench. I mean, Lindsay Horan, Tobin Heath, Christine Sinclair were in this lineup. But Mitch Purse and Haley Rasso, basically after those three, are, are probably the Thorns' best, next best two attacking options. And, and so I did not understand that move, particularly given how the Thorns had been, how things had been going for the Thorns in the attack. Yeah, And I, I think it, it really cost them. Yeah, and I think sort of what we saw in this game is that the Thorns didn't have a reliable goal scorer. I don't think on the roster they have a big game goal scorer. And I think Mark Parsons was left trying to sort of contort his roster around and try to find some sort of creative way to get goals. There was a lack of someone who can put those goals in the back of the net. I mean, I think what we've seen in the past is that 
the Thorns have been able to score goals by committee. I remember last season people actually talking about whether the Thorns had enough firepower in the attack, and the Thorns were fine. They were able to sort of find goals by committee. Lindsey Horan had a great season as well, but I still don't think that they have sort of a Samantha Kerr type player. I mean, that much is clear. And I think in that game, Sam Kerr was the difference. Yeah. And you you look at the end of that season. I mean, we've touched on it. We've talked about it. The Thorns end up closing out the season uh, by failing to score in five of their final six games. Um, and I get your thoughts on what happened. But I, I think a big part of that, like you mentioned, is Lindsey Horan just sort of regressing after a really strong 2018 season. And I think that Lindsey Horan obviously had a great 2018 campaign, but I think the Thorns are going to need to look at whether that's her normal and this was a down year because of the World Cup or whether that's not something they can expect because when it came down to it, I don't think the Thorns had a number nine consistent goal scorer that's going to go out there and and get the big goals in the big moments. And when you add on to that, maybe Lindsay Aran, Tobin Heath, even Christine Sinclair just sort of being tired after the World Cup. They, they got to a point where they just didn't have somebody that could be clinical in the final third, that could find a way to get the job done, that could create the opportunities they needed. And I think you can rely on Tobin Heath to create those opportunities. I think th- that will come back next year. But I don't know when you look at a player like Christine Sinclair, where she's at in her career, how much more she has left in the tank. And, and really, when you look at a player like Lindsay Aran, who is, I, I think, more of a natural... I mean, she's played everywhere, but at this point in her career, maybe more of a natural number eight. Can you really rely on her to provide the type of goal scoring production as she did back in 2018? Yeah, I mean, asking why the Thorns only scored one goal in their final six games of the season and just their struggles this season overall. I agree. I think the number one thing you have to look at is the regression of Lindsay Horan. I don't think that this means that Lindsay Horan isn't a really good player or really impactful player. I think that her season last year was so good that it would be unreasonable to expect her to be able to have that season every year. I also think that she scored a lot of goals for the Thorns last season. That really wasn't her role necessarily. And I think it speaks to the Thorns roster and the players that they have that a central midfielder like Lindsey Horan, who had to win the ball, had to create, had to kind of do everything on the field. I mean, she was part of everything that the Thorns did. The fact that she had to do all those things and score all of the goals for the Thorns is sort of an indictment of the roster construction. And maybe we should have seen it coming that the Thorns were going to struggle to score goals this year. We couldn't have predicted that she would fall off as much as she has, but I think you had to expect she wasn't going to have as good of a season as she had last year. So I would point to Lindsay Horan as the number one thing, but I would I would say that it's maybe a symptom of an issue with the roster construction that, like I said, the Thorns do not have a player like Sam Kerr on that roster. And Sam Kerr is a special player. She takes half chances and makes them full chances. She can score goals in every different way. It doesn't have to be one type of goal. And I just don't think we've seen that the Thorns have a reliable goal scorer. Yeah, I I, I think 
that's going to be a big question um, going into the offseason for the Thorns. Let's talk about that in just one minute. I first want to hit Jeff's question here, kind of looking at the season uh, before we go into the offseason moves. He asked, did Mark Parsons lose the team after the 6-0 loss to North Carolina? And uh, building on that, is Parsons in the hot seat? Yeah, I think that's uh, a good question from Jeff. I mean, I'll say I haven't really heard any hints of discontent from the players with Mark Parsons. I think something we definitely picked up on earlier in the Thorns history, you know, a few years ago, was players didn't come right out and say that there were locker room issues or chemistry issues or things like that. But you sort of started to pick it up by just little things that they said. And I don't think there's been anything like that this season that has sort of given us a hint that there's any sort of unhappiness or that Mark Parsons isn't still getting through to the players. I just, I I don't think that he lost the team with that 6-0 loss. I mean, it's hard to sort of know what a loss that bad <laughs> could do to a team. I don't know if... I think it made the players not want to listen to Mark Parsons anymore. I think there are larger issues like we talked about with the roster, with the World Cup, I think was hugely disruptive, more than the Thorns optimistically thought it would be. So I think when we look at the offseason, we can say that the Thorns just simply didn't do enough coming into the season. I don't think they were prepared enough for the World Cup break, even though, I mean, that's when they racked up all their points was during the World Cup. But I think there was just sort of a staleness within the team. So when the World Cup players came back, there was a complacency. The players were tired. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the semifinal against Chicago was managed particularly well. But like I said, I also saw Mark Parsons desperately trying to figure out a way to find goals when the team hasn't been able to get any and to get performances out of players who have been underperforming ever since the World Cup. So I don't think that Mark Parsons is on the hot seat. I think there are just sort of a lot of other issues that have been going on. Yeah, I think Mark Parsons has been a tremendous coach for the Thorns since he's been here. He's obviously led this team to four straight playoff berths, two NWSL championship games, one title. I think the Thorns have the advantage uh, of having a a team that a front office that wants to invest money in the club. They can draw big name players because of the fan support they get. People want to come here. So there are some inherent advantages to being the coach of Portland. There's a reason why the Thorns, even early uh, in 2013, when there was um, issues with maybe some discontent in the locker room, they went on and won the championship that year. But I do really respect Mark Parsons as a coach. And I I think from everything I saw, it didn't feel like this happened because Parsons lost the locker room so much as for whatever reason, coming out of the World Cup, the Thorns did have the most players of any NWSL team go to the World Cup. Although I I think at least two other teams had maybe eight players. So it was it was close. The Thorns sent nine. Uh, But for whatever reason, coming out of the World Cup, the Thorns weren't able to click like they did in the past, even though those players had a developed good chemistry in the past. It, it did feel like players like Lindsey Horan were tired. There was clearly some injuries and, and some um, knocks here and there with players coming back from the World Cup. The U.S. players still had to go in and out. That clearly didn't impact a team like North Carolina, so I, I don't know how much that should be used as an excuse, but it seemed for whatever reason to impact the Thorns 
And that seemed to be more of the deciding factor for me than than any sort of discontent in the locker room or, or Mark Parsons losing the locker room, at least from what I could see from the outside. Um, so I absolutely expect Mark Parsons to be back. I, I think that's no question, yeah. uh, given what he's done. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that Mark Parsons is a good coach, and that's sort of an important point. And clearly there were some issues with maybe motivation after the World Cup for some of the players or just fatigue. But I do think that Mark Parsons is a good coach. And I've seen Timbers fans sort of questioning whether Gio is a good coach, and I guess that's a whole separate discussion. But in my mind, unequivocally, Mark Parsons knows what he's doing. I think it was just sort of a weird year with the World Cup with the schedule because of the stadium construction. I think there wasn't enough off-season movement, but that's not just on Mark Parsons. That's also on Gavin Wilkinson, Merritt Paulson. I think they make these decisions together. So, yes, I think Mark Parsons will be back, and nothing about this season sort of makes me question whether he should be back at all. Looking ahead, though, what do you think the Thorns need to do in the off-season to – um, be in a better place next year? What what investments in players do they need to make? That's what Sam wanted to know. And who do you think will leave in the offseason um, more generally? Yeah, I think that the back line needs to improve. We talked about it a few times on this podcast, I think, is that the back line has looked a bit inconsistent, a bit prone to mistakes. I think that other than Emily Menges, there have been problems with the rest of the back line. I haven't been impressed with the rest of the players. I think that Megan Klingenberg isn't quite as fit and fast as she once was. And I think that kind of pulling back and looking at the season as a whole, a lot of goals did come from her side because she wasn't able to shut that space down. I think Emily Sonnet and Katherine Reynolds were inconsistent and error-prone. Ellie Carpenter is, you know, a high-risk, high-reward player, so I think that's sort of a calculated risk. You know what you're going to get with her, but to have a player like that, you need a back line that is more solid. So I would look at the back line and making some upgrades there. I'd also look at the central midfield. Jamie, you and I have actually talked about this before, but I don't think the Thorns ever really found an adequate replacement for Amandine Henri when she left. They need a player who can control the midfield, and I, I think that fell to Lindsay Horan, and so did goal scoring, so did everything. I think Lindsay Horan was asked to do so much last year, and I just don't think that that is a sustainable plan going forward. So I think they should get a replacement for Amandine Henri, get a number six, um, and then... I think that the Thorns need a proven goal scorer. I think it's sort of the same thing that when the Timbers went out and got Brian Fernandez, it was because they really weren't getting goals out of strikers. They were finding goals from midfielders and defenders and players who had left the team. So I think it's sort of a similar situation with the Thorns. Who are they getting goals out of? Not really from strikers, not really from someone up top. So I think that that is a place they can upgrade. And if Caitlin Ford is not a player that can do that, then even though she came in with high expectations, she hasn't really delivered. So I think that might be a tough decision that needs to be made. I think that Midge Purse is a great utility player. I think she'll stick around because, you know, she's a hard worker. She seems to have a really good attitude and she can play anywhere on the field, whether it's 
you know, striker, wingback, winger, defender. She can sort of play everywhere, but I don't know if she is the answer at striker. So I think the Thorns should try to upgrade there as well. Yeah, I'm not sure what sort of happened with Caitlin Ford. I mean, clearly she hasn't lived up to expectations. The Thorns thought she was going to come in and be that striker for them, and she hasn't. She's still young, so maybe that's a player they invest in, but also maybe that's a chip they use for trade value. Uh, so mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with you. I think the, I for me, I think the number one priority is bringing in a proven goal-scoring striker that's going to get the job done for the Thorns. I think Christine Sinclair is going to be on this team, either playing a midfield role or a, a striker role. Um, although I'm not sure, maybe coming off the bench at some point, but she will be on this team in, until she doesn't want to be on this team. And, and I think that the Thorns will allow her to do that. But I think you can't build a team around Christine Sinclair at this point in her career. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I don't think you can build a team as much around Lindsay Horan as the Thorns were just in terms of how much they were asking of Horan. They, they need to, obviously she can provide goals and things like that, but they need her to be able to provide what she provides in the midfield as her primary purpose and then chip in goals when the opportunities are there. Um, I agree completely that the Thorns have never played, replaced Amandie Henri, and, and that would be the second position for me that I think they have to look at. I still, I, I said it last year, she did not leave, but I do not understand why Andresinha is on this <laughs> roster. Yeah. I think that would be the perfect midfield trading chip to to have, um, potentially, or or if depending on the contract status, just open up space um to potentially bring in a different player in the midfield that's gonna be more effective. I was I was shocked to see Andresinha in the starting lineup in a playoff game after the roles that she played this year. Yeah. Um, I think with like Tobin Heath, Haley Rosso, Lindsey Horan, the Thorns have a good core of attackers and, and midfielders, but they have to build around those players. And yeah, defensively, I, th- I think there's some work to be done there. But, but I think a big question, if they do want to make improvements on defense, comes down to, is Emily Sonnet your center back moving forward? Or is, is she someone that goes away. Um, right. I, I think with the expansion draft and how the NWSL sort of does that um, going forward, if they're, I think we're still trying to figure out when teams are going to come in. Assuming there's an expansion draft, if Sacramento potentially comes in next year, that hasn't been announced yet, but Louisville is coming in 2021. So that wouldn't be the season. Maybe that is going to change things in terms of what national team players, the Thorns can keep. But even if that doesn't happen, I am just not sure whether Emily Sonnet is a long-term solution for the Thorns at center back because she has been so inconsistent. And if the Thorns want to make real strides at at that position, I I mean, I I don't think there's any reason that they would move Emily Menges. So I think that is a little bit of a question mark for me as well. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that sort of the next U.S. women's national team coach could have an effect on the Thorns roster because that coach is going to decide which players are going to be allocated in the NWSL next season. And if Emily Sonnet remains an allocated player and her salary is subsidized by U.S. Soccer, then I would expect that the Thorns would probably just want to keep her because allocated players, you're, you're not having to pay for those players. And that's a big benefit. If the next coach that comes in, whoever it is, ahem, uh, Vlako Andonovsky, <laughs> if that coach does not see Emily Sonnet as a national team caliber player, 
then she's going to lose that allocation. And then maybe the thorns are kind of nudged to maybe look in a different direction. So I think the hiring of a new coach for the national team is sort of this interesting thing that sort of looms over all of this because, you know, with, with rosters the way they are in the NWSL and there being so little cap space, allocation is actually a pretty advantageous thing and you you don't really want to give that up. So that's sort of an extra thing that we have to pay attention to. I think the other side of that is that if there is an expansion draft this fall, if Sacramento does potentially come in, um, how many national team players the Thorns can protect? Because I, I think that uh, I think the Thorns have been proactive in the past. We saw that with 2015 in Orlando at making sure that they kind of make trades beforehand so they limit what happens to them in the expansion draft. And I think mm-hmm. we've seen that with the Timbers as well. So that's... Yeah what I assume would happen. But I also think that there are probably national team players they wouldn't be able to protect if there was an expansion draft. And I think the number one player in the national team group that I think could be left off, at least in the U.S. national team group that could be left off, would be Emily Sonnet. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think if that happens, um, she would be the national team player not protected. I will say, I know there was some reporting about Sacramento, I have heard from sources that Sacramento is not that close. That's not to say that it won't happen, but I just think there was this idea that what was being reported was that Sacramento was definitely going to be in for 2020, and that's not what I've heard. It's still possible, but I, I also think we're getting sort of late into the year. Sacramento just was awarded an MLS team, and they're building a new stadium. They have a lot going on. For me, I mean, maybe it happens. The timing doesn't really seem ideal from my standpoint for Sacramento to join the NWSL. So I guess we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, if there is an expansion draft, uh, I would think Emily Sonnet would be the national team player who's unprotected. And, you know, some of the names I already threw out, Megan Klingenberg, Caitlin Ford, Andresina, I could see those players not being protected uh, in terms of bigger names. And then, you know, we can get into all the players that sort of come off the bench or haven't really played very much. Obviously, those would be players that um, wouldn't be protected. We'll have to see also what the rules are, whether they are exactly the same as they were when Orlando came in or if they change it up. Maybe more than one team comes in, so then it's you know a whole different type of expansion draft. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of question marks there because of how late in the game this is. I, I mean, is Sacramento somehow going to not announce that they're coming in until January or something? It, that would be, I think, a little crazy. But we saw the Royals come in late. Um, but then again, with the Royals, they sort of dissolved one team and just turned it into Utah. So there wasn't the need for something like the expansion draft. I think right. when yeah. it comes to the NWSL, there's just so much up in the air at, at any given time. And it's they can hard. just make up yeah. the rules as they go along, yeah. too. <laughs> because exactly. what, ha- what happened with uh, FC Kansas City was the league just took back their right to be an NWSL team because they weren't meeting standards. So the league just sort of for- forced the team to dissolve and move, is what I have been told by sources. So, yeah, that was definitely a unique situation. A lot of things are happening with the NWSL. Things are always sort of in flux. So anything we hear right now could change very quickly, I feel like. So obviously not 
the happiest pod and not the uh, happiest seasons, uh, at least the endings uh, for both the Timbers and the Thorns. Christopher wants to know, is this what we should have expected from both clubs, given all the up and ups and downs of the season, especially with uh, the construction? Well, I guess I'm wondering if Christopher means at the beginning of the season or if he's just referring to the playoff runs that they had. But I guess I'll just answer both. I think no. I think we, if we're talking about at the beginning of the season, we expected that both the Timbers and the Thorns would surge at home when they had their home stretches and they would thrive and build momentum and go into playoffs playing great. I think what instead happened is the more games they played at home, the more they got stuck in ruts that just sort of had deepened by the time they got to playoffs. So um, that didn't play out as expected. In terms of going into both games, I mean, in our last podcast, Jamie, you and I discussed that we felt like one and done was kind of how it was going to go, and that's exactly how it went. Uh, my predictions did not <laughs> reflect my true feelings because uh, I think the playoffs kind of went predictably. Yeah, I, I think that it's a particularly disappointing year for both teams because I think they both did what they needed to do during the road stretch earlier in the year. So mm-hmm. yeah. basically that negated the the issues around construction because they weren't neither team was in a position coming back home after being on the road where it looked like they were suddenly going to fade or, or were so far out of the playoff race that they couldn't get back in. Um, so I think that sort of just makes the season extra disappointing on, on both sides because they didn't take advantage of these long home stretches. I, I mean, there was a stretch. I haven't counted up the minutes when you combine the two teams, but there was a stretch of games when we were spending a lot of time at Providence Park and, and not seeing very many goals from either team. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think this was a predictable outcome at all. I, I agree that by the time we reached playoffs, it was a predictable outcome, but given where the, the both teams were mid-season, this is absolutely not predictable, and I, I don't think they can really use the construction as an excuse. Yeah, disappointment. I think on paper, you say both teams made playoffs. Hey, that's pretty good. I think just seeing the way it played out, seeing the kind of soccer both teams were playing, it's a disappointment. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. Well, Laura wants to know, are are you uh, just a little bit relieved that the season is over and we can start fresh for 2020? (laughs) I actually saw a few fans saying this, that they were just sort of relieved that it was all over and... uh, I guess they didn't want the Timbers to advance because uh, there was no sense that they were ever going to reach MLS Cup anyway, so kind of just put the teams out of their misery. Um, I mean, it wasn't a fun season that I'll look back on and say was a lot of fun. I mean, for me, it was a little weird um, because of the World Cup and sort of being away for a little bit, but... There are seasons I definitely look back on fondly. I think 2015 is one, even though that one kind of had its ups and downs. Um, Toward the end, the Timbers were playing really great soccer. I think with the Thorns, they've always, uh, at least in the Mark Parsons era, have always been a fun team. So this season for both teams is not one I'm going to look back on fondly. I think... If anything, the only reason I didn't want it to end, Jamie, was because I wanted to keep podcasting with you and wanted to keep uh, reading your coverage. So now the season's over and you're going to go leave us for the NBA and uh, we're not going to keep doing this podcast. But that's sort of the only thing I can think of that would make me wish that those playoff runs went a little deeper. 
Yeah, I think that's for me too. Um, <laughs> you know, the, it's hard to feel relieved when it's sort of, for me personally, the end of an era, walking out of that stadium in Salt Lake uh, just felt so strange, uh, unlike anything uh, that I've experienced in the last six years, obviously, just knowing that I'm not going to be wearing a press badge for, for another Timbers game as far as I know uh, in the future. So I think yeah. it'll be exciting to to come back and be in an, more of just watching from the stands, watching for fun, trying to experience what that's like uh, with MLS and, and NWSL since I've not really experienced that. Um, from the other sense, yeah, I mean, it was a tough season. It was not, I think, my favorite season to cover of all the years just because of how it sort of ended. I mean, I think the reason why there's an element of relief, I think from you see from both sides, uh, both Timbers and Thorns fans is that not only were there ups and downs this season, it it just from September on, it it just felt like both these teams were sort of headed in a downward spiral and they weren't going to come out from it. Um, 2015 was a tough year for the Timbers, but when it counted, they came together and, and they rallied to go to that MLS cup and win that title. And this season sort of went in the other direction where these teams were decent in the middle and and then sort of faded towards the end. And I don't think there's necessarily been a season like that that I've covered up until this year. Outside distractions, I think, like we talked about, added to that. Um, But yeah. Yeah, there were a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there were more sort of off the field distractions this season than any other season I can yeah. remember. I I mean, Brian Fernandez, Iron Front, the construction, the World Cup. Um, I'm probably missing some things, honestly. I mean, I can't remember this many other things going on. And it just sort of, it all snowballed. And man, it, it wasn't uh, the season I think anyone was hoping for. No. <laughs> Um, but there's always next season, right? <laughs> That's how sports works. Um, it'll be different. <laughs> That's the beauty of sports. We don't know who or if or, or when this podcast could potentially start back up again, but it's definitely been an experience. Um, this season, any season, it's been tremendous, Caitlin, to be able to talk with you, to be able to do this podcast. I, I've had a lot of fun the last few months, uh, especially, I think, I think listeners have said that they they think we have good chemistry on the podcast i think part of that is because we talk a lot about this outside <laughs> of the podcast so it's been fun to bring it to this sort of uh platform for sure jamie i'm not ready to move on i know you're going to be covering nba <laughs> but i'm still going to be in your dms and i'm still going to be talking to you about the timbers and thorns so don't worry it's going to be off pod uh sorry to all the listeners but Jamie, you're not going to get rid of me as far as talking to you about soccer. It's still going to happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll be talking about soccer one way or another. Maybe I'll maybe I'll reclaim um, what it's like to be a fan of soccer because I've definitely forgotten what that's like. But yes, maybe, <laughs> that'll be nice. Maybe. Yes, to just enjoy soccer and not have to cover it is going to be nice. I sort of sometimes think about that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're just avoiding now the signing off point. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it has come. It, if listeners has come to this point in the pod, thank you so much for listening. We went really long today, but it was the last pod. And uh, I, I felt like sort of we just wanted to keep talking to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> As Caitlin mentioned, follow her on Twitter. If you want updates on the podcast, you can also make sure you're following Soccer Made in PDX on Twitter as well. Um, We'll post any updates about the pod there. Mm -hmm. But for now, um, this is Elisa Hiatus for the pod. You can find us, uh, this pod or past pods on Oregon Live, Sumptown Footy. You can 
look on uh, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. We're there too. We don't know what will come next, but but if I've, you subscribe, they'll show up in your feed. If but we they come will, back too. yes. So might just be a fun <laughs> surprise someday in the future. But it's been great, everyone. Thank you so much for listening over the years. I really appreciate all the input, all the questions. Uh, this pod wouldn't be possible without all the listeners who have asked questions every week. Uh, we've had interactions on social media. Um, I feel like I know some of you personally, even if we haven't met in person, just from all the conversations we've been able to have. So it's been great throughout the years. Thank you so much uh, for your support. And I guess until next time or till whatever the future is, um, <laughs> whatever the future holds, take care. Take care.